You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for missionaries and leaders living out their God-given calling through this small expression of the church. This podcast is meant to encourage, equip, and contribute to the overall discussion of this smaller way. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for people brave enough to be small. This is your host, Tommy Wilkerson, and in this series, we are looking at frequently asked questions that microchurch leaders have about leading microchurches. And so instead of just me talking to one person, uh, I decided, you know what, it'd be fun for this season to invite real live microchurch leaders from our network to answer some of the questions that we get about leading microchurches. And so in this particular episode, maybe we're coming to the biggest question that we get of all when people first sort of come around to the underground, this question of what on earth do we do with kids in the microchurch? And so it's a big question. Uh, There's lots of layers to this that we'll, we'll maybe get into a little bit. But I am personally super excited because I am joined by Emily Bender and Jessica Stevens of our network. And so fun fact, they are sisters. uh, And so they both lead incredible microchurches and have a wealth of experience in, uh, yeah, dealing with kids in microchurches. And so Emily, Jessica, thank you guys so much for hopping onto this podcast with me. Thanks, Tommy. You're welcome. Yeah. And so... Uh, I mean, I kind of already gave away the way that you guys uh, maybe know each other. You guys have known each other for a very, very long time. Uh, but I don't know, maybe just the, I don't know, any stories or anything that you just appreciate about one another and being on this microchurch missional journey together as a family uh, in, in a way. And so I'd love to hear that if you wanted to kick us off that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a real treat in a lot of ways that many people don't get to experience, like being in a, what I would consider a radical missionary movement, you know, in our city with family. Our brother and his wife are also a part of our network, so there's three of us, um, which is nice. It makes family reunions kind of easy because you don't have to explain what you do. You don't have to have that awkward, like, what's a microchurch again conversation because three of your siblings um, live the same life that you do. So that's that's nice. Absolutely. And it just makes it more natural to talk about the issues that you face, you know, because you're having those, con- those conversations a lot and you don't have to worry about the other person or the other people understanding, you know, like what it is that you're coming, your perspective or whatever. And so it's really helpful, you know, as Jessica said, just to have people that are are living that same kind of life and have that perspective on church and trying to, trying to reach the world for the kingdom. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for being on this podcast again. And uh, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, this is kind of a, a big question. There's multiple aspects to this. I think, you know, part of what happens when people check out uh, a decentralized network such as the underground is there's a way that we're used to relying on maybe prevailing model churches and centralized services to take care of some of the things um that we are just, I don't know, that we need. And so things like kids care and kids programs and kids ministries. I mean, even when people are church shopping, I mean, of course, they're looking for relevant preaching and contemporary worship. And is there ample parking space? But then also kids, like, is there something for my kids? 
And then you come to a decentralized network such as ours, and it sounds good. But then there's this question of, well, what do what about kids? You guys do have something, a kids ministry or whatever. And the way that we've traditionally responded is that that's a function of the church. And because the centralized service of the underground is not the church, whereas the microchurches, that they really are the church, it's really on the microchurch to figure out what to do about kids, uh, which, I don't know, sounds good, but also has lots of questions, right? Like, it's an answer, uh, but in terms of how that relates to, uh, you know, a person's experience in leading a microchurch, it just, there's lots to be had, uh, or lots to be said there, so... That's partially why I'm really excited for us to, to get into this question together. And so I would just be curious, as you all uh, have led microchurches and are leading microchurches, I mean, I guess you can tell us a bit about your microchurch and the way that you have wrestled with this tension. Cool. Um, I'll go first. So let's see. We have had several iterations of microchurches over the years, but um, the majority of the time we have led um, what we would consider like a distributive uh, microchurch or distributive home church in our house. Um, and we've done that for many, many years, many iterations, many, um, you know, different groups of people over the years. But, um, you know, when you invite people to your home church, a lot of times they bring their kids with them. So, um, yeah, what does that look like? It looks like it looks different in every season, kind of depending on um, how many kids you have, what their ages are, and then also what the level of comfortability is with the parents. Um, so, you know, if the group is tight and we all kind of know each other and know each other's kids, which is kind of our current situation, then the kid question is a lot easier because there's mutual trust the kids get along, they know each other, so they're happy to kind of see each other and be together. And there's less, um, you know, structure necessarily needed to kind of entertain them or to be with them. Um, but, you know, some iterations we've had where there's not a lot of trust, you know, maybe a single mom has been a part of our home church and she just isn't quite sure about letting her kid go in the other room <laughs> with an adult that she doesn't know. Um, and so, yeah, we just have had to kind of ebb and flow with that. But yeah, so I think your original question, Tommy, was like, what kind, what does our microchurch look like? And that's what it looks like. Currently is a home church that's a distributive model. Um, kids are welcome to come. I think I heard that there was something about uh, them being outside with chickens. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and that's... yes, currently we do have 10 chickens and two dogs. I think that's all that we have currently. So um, they love to play with, hold, collect the eggs. I always leave the eggs for them to collect on Sundays because they get a big treat out of that. They kind of like, I think they actually rush their parents to be the first kids here on Sunday afternoon so that they can be the ones to go collect the eggs, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, they run around in the backyard. I have um, older kids, so my kids are now all teenagers. And plus, so they're a really big help in this season, kind of, you know, keeping an eye on the little ones and um, entertaining them. There have been seasons where the older ones have led Bible studies for the younger ones, too, mm. um, which is such a gift and a really great. 
usually they're very short and I don't really know how spiritually profound they are, but, um, you know, again, I think when you have maybe some families that, um, you know, are more on the fringe, they don't know you, they don't have as much trust, you know, mutual trust built up yet. It's nice to be able to have something to offer them in a spiritual way to say, okay, the kids are going to do this element of like organized program for a certain amount of time, even if that isn't the entire time. Um, but yeah, so currently that's, that's what we look like. We have teenagers who help and um, kids who really know each other and enjoy playing together. And it's kind of chaotic. Yeah. Um, we've had different things over the years too. Um, so our home church, um, we actually transitioned from a, um, from a missional, a missional church model to a home church model recently. And before, um, our, we led an outreach where we would watch, um, foster and adopted kids for, um, for a few hours every month so that the parents could get a break. And that was really cool because, um, we basically centered our whole time around the kids and, you know, how to, how to, you know, entertain them, but also teach them a little bit about Jesus and, you know, try to make connections with the family. And of course, COVID killed that. Um, so we have since kind of shifted everything and, and we're doing a home church model now, as we have also done in the past. And, you know, like Jessica was saying, there's been times when we've had adults playing kid times. Uh, we would just kind of share that responsibility. We would just get a simple curriculum and do a craft and a lesson and play time. And then there's, um, in this season, you know, my kids are, are older too. My oldest is in fifth grade and actually she, um, we have a few kids that come now and my fifth grader is kind of like in charge of the kids, um, because she just loves, she loves the little ones and they're just in a room right off of where we are. So if anything goes awry, you know, we know what's happening, but she is definitely the entertainment, um, and she just loves um, having that time to interact, interact with the little ones. Um, my older ones have also um, taken turns, you know, kind of planning and, and, and doing that as well. But it's interesting because, you know, when you think about the kids in your home church, you don't want to just think about the little ones. You know, it's, it's teenagers, too. And so teenagers are tricky because they um, the season we're in, we're kind of trying to figure out how do we include them, but then how do we also, you know, how do they help and, you know, like what should their role and responsibility be, you know? And um, I think it's really tricky with teenagers because you can, it's, it's easy to lose them, you know, cause they think, well, that's my parents thing. So that's my parents Bible study um, or I'm just coming to babysit or whatever. And so that's kind of been our challenge in this, in this season is, is making sure that um, they are also active um, and they feel, you know, like they're important parts of the microchurch as well. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I knew when we were first kind of kicking around this idea of this episode, but this was a, a I guess a multifaceted topic and even listening to you all talk now, it's like, oh man, yeah, there's another piece of this that is 
the reality that some microchurches are more conducive to having kids present than others. So right now we're talking about, uh, I mean, Emily, you mentioned that you had a more mission specific microchurch and whereas Jessica, yours has always been a little bit more distributive, but even so it's like the mission specific microchurch that you had, Emily was for kids versus something like maybe a, a created or a Timothy initiative that works with people kind of coming from different backgrounds that, yeah, you might not necessarily have your kids as active or as involved. <laughs> um, it would actually maybe be inappropriate in some yes. ways, right? Like I'm, I probably shouldn't take my kids on, I don't know, street outreach at two o'clock in the morning on Nebraska Avenue or to the strip club, right? To pray for the women there. Like it just might be, I don't think Emily should take her teenage boys probably to the strip club. It's probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> right. Definitely right. Not. It's funny, but then but then it's like, you know, you have people in this position because they have teenagers. And so they see their parents going out to do ministry. Yeah. And then but they're like, okay, well that's not for me, but this is not, you know, and and it's so they they just are kind of like, that's my parents thing. And before you know it, you have these teenagers who think like mission is is for my parents to do. It's not for me to do. Mm, yeah. And it's a real tension to live your life in a missional way before your kids uh, and to explain it to them, to invite them into it to the extent that they can be invited into it and like having to navigate some of that. Which, I don't know, I think in listening to both of you talk, it seems like there's this, uh, like part of maybe what we look at in a prevailing model church or uh, traditionally the way that things have gone is we almost are hoping that the church will disciple our kids, right? Like, (laughs) uh, it's like we don't necessarily have all the time and the space to sit down and go through Bible reading plans or the Jesus Storybook Bible or I don't know, even the the level of um, receptivity that kids, our kids might have to our leadership in their life is something else. And so we kind of say here, uh, church, you, you do this. And it sounds like because it's, we're really pushing it in the hands of microchurches and you yourself are having to think about, okay, yeah, I really do have to own the discipleship of my kids in this space. And yeah, to what extent are we involving them? What does it look like now in this season as they hit this age and this milestone? Um, and so I, don't know, I would just love for you to talk about that. Like, how are you thinking about the discipleship of your kids when there aren't the the centralized offerings that typically people rely on? Yeah, that's, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> um, and I do think it is central to figuring out how to deal with kids in microchurches because I don't think even a microchurch can um, meet all the needs of our kids in their discipleship. So microchurches are wonderful in so many ways, but as parents, we can't depend on our microchurch community to disciple our kids either in as much as we can't depend on the centralized prevailing model to disciple our kids. It's really up to us as parents, right? So we have to take responsibility and invest in our kids and their discipleship. And, you know, having had a lot of conversations with parents um, over many years of kids that are in many stages of life, I, I always feel like sometimes parents put the pressure, like, like they see discipleship of their kids in this moment, and this is the only thing that is going to disciple my kids like right now like okay so my kid's three years old and they need to learn everything about jesus right now 
you know, as opposed to like seeing discipleship of our kids as, you know, this overarching thing that happens from the time that they're born and hopefully not even doesn't stop when they're 18, but it continues, you know, like we as parents living a life that models what a surrendered life to Jesus really looks like and what a kingdom life looks like for them. Um, and like you said, Tommy, that looks different in different phases of their life. And, and so that translates into the microchurch, um, you know, uh, different seasons and different needs as well. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> just one of the things that I'm thinking of, like discipleship of our kids is a really big thing that lasts for many, many years. And the season that you're in, you know, this iteration of microchurches, like I think one of the things we've learned about microchurches to take a couple of steps back is that they do evolve, they do change. So the microchurch that you're like covenanting with or committing to when your kids are three is probably not going to look exactly the same when your kids are eight or nine, when they're teenagers, when they're getting ready to graduate from high school. Like it's probably going to look different. So it's hard to say like, okay, my kid is three. We need to figure out how to disciple my kid. You know, like it's it's going to change. It's going to evolve. And that's okay. Like this is just a piece of their discipleship. And it's just a couple hours a week, probably too, that you're with this particular group of people. But what about the rest of the hours in the week? Like what is, you know, all of that goes into discipling our kids as well. too. So, you know, I think that parents a lot of times, just like maybe there's a tendency to lean on the centralized to disciple my kid in a few hours a week. There's also right. maybe a tendency to want to lean on a microchurch to disciple my kids in just a few hour week, as hours a week. And I just, I don't think that's a great um, way of looking at discipling our kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't drop your kid off at Awana and say, okay, check, I discipled my kid for that week, you know, and I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, as Americans, especially, we just kind of like check boxes or we, we do this because yes, this is, you know, this is, this is the way that I disciple. I take my kid to church on Sunday and then I take them to their little program on Wednesday and then they're magically going to fall in love with Jesus. You know, we don't, think about all the in-between times. So I do definitely agree that, you know, discipleship is, it's, it's, it's a journey, you know, that you walk with your kids and it's a responsibility of parents. And so can a microchurch be helpful to disciple your kids? Absolutely. Do all these relationships that my kids have had with these other adults and watching them, you know, go through their struggles to follow Jesus are those moments that they remember and conversations that they, you know, that they will hold on to and possibly pay, play a part in their spiritual formation? Absolutely. But it's not, it's, it can be a piece, but it's not, it's, it's never going to be enough in and of itself, mm-hmm. whether it's centralized or decentralized. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So good. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of a, uh... I don't know. I guess there's a a few things that are like floating around in my head and I'm trying to figure out which one I want to, I want to land on, but uh, maybe I'll go this route. Like I remember uh, Lucas uh, had posted something on his Facebook a while back about how he was getting the kids ready for house church and said, we're going to church. And the kids were like, well, which one are we talking about this person's house? Are we talking about this person's house? Are we going to this space over here? Like when you say, like when you say church, like what do you mean? And there's like a way that 
you know, his kids have, yeah, their understanding of church has been so changed because it's just, it's just different because they've grown up in this ecosystem. And yeah, yeah, I think that, (laughs) I think that that is true. Definitely something I was thinking about, um, Sorry, I have lots of thoughts too, Tommy. It's like such a big topic because it's like microchurches. Are we talking about parenting? Are we talking like it's all kind of right? Yeah, jumbled up in one, and there's there's like sensitive issues, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is such a big topic because <laughs> <laughs> microchurch is a part. Like even for us as adults, like microchurch is just a part of like helping us live out like a radical lives devoted to Jesus, right? Like it's something that helps us. It's a tool. Microchurch in itself is not like the gospel. <laughs> it's mm. not, you know, it's yeah. it's something that helps us. So, you know, same for our kids. Like a microchurch is something that helps our kids. Um, but I don't know. I was just thinking too about like, um, there is this book that I have to admit, I didn't read the whole thing, but I scanned it and Jeremy, my husband read it. I think it's called Revolutionary Parenting, if I remember correctly. It's the Barna, the mm, Barna guy. Yeah. I don't know if you read it. But, you know, one of the highlights, it's been years since I've looked at it, but one of the highlights that always sticks in my head from that is, like, basically radicals beget radicals, right? So, like, if you yourself live a life that is radical for Jesus, like, your kids will see that, and that's, like, the best example for them um, to, like, also live a radically devoted life to Jesus. Um, And I was just thinking about, you know, some of the biggest conflicts or tensions that we've had in microchurch over the years around kids has been like parents who want to center the microchurch on their kid. Um, They want the microchurch to basically serve the needs of their child, you know, various stages, various needs, but it's kind of like centering the child as opposed to centering the kingdom. And (laughs) it's been so, so difficult, you know, to like, basically, I I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges, honestly, with having kids in microchurch is sometimes the parents, if I could just say that, like, Hmm. helping parents see like, your kid doesn't have to be the center of this time, even if your kid just comes and like, you know, plays outside, chases chickens, you know, steps in dog poo in my backyard. Um, (laughs) And that's what they do for the two hours. But we're inside like praying and worshiping and like figuring out what Jesus is calling us to do to lay down our lives in the coming week or weeks. Like that has so much value and it, it might actually have more value than us like devoting all of our resources to teaching your kid the story of Noah and the ark, you know, like, Mm. Because them seeing us like live our lives in a way that is sacrificial and, you know, kingdom oriented will have more effect, you know, in their lives as they continue to grow. Like having witnesses, you know, like having a something that they can look at to be like, oh, yeah, that's how my parents live their lives. They didn't just talk about it. They didn't just say, oh, yeah, yeah you should read your Bible. But like I saw them every week, like reading their Bible with this group of people, this group of adults that I respect. And like, I watched them in their good times. I watched them when they failed. I watched them try to invite people and they didn't come. You know, I watched them try to do evangelism and sometimes people will come to Jesus and sometimes they didn't or, um, yeah, I just, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that makes any sense, but. (laughs) No, I think all that's great and wonderful. And uh, I'm so glad that you, you, 
said that uh, because it, I mean, it, as much as we're talking about kids in microchurch, it does become a question about parenting and mission. Like I I was, it's hard to extract those things. And I think for uh, even some of the people that, I mean, I've interacted with over the years, that's been a real question for them. It's like, how do we do mission and parent together efficiently well uh, when we're making sacrificial choices that we feel like Jesus is inviting us into that our kids don't necessarily understand why we don't own this thing or why we live in this part of town or why we're moving from here to there. And uh, it's like, and I don't want to go to home church tonight. You know, it's boring. I've heard that so many times from parents. Well, we don't, my kids think it's boring, so they don't want to come, you know? And it's like, okay, like, that's fine. You have that option. But is this also a discipleship moment for you and your kids, you know, Mm -hmm. to talk about like other values than just being entertained or like always having a good time or just looking for, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) it's like there's there's so much more, you know, to it and ways that we can lead our kids, even if, yeah, it's not like we don't get to play video games while we're at home church or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I mean, society already tells you, like, you know, you have to put your kids at the center of everything that you do. You know, like parenting is making your kid happy or parent, you know, and we we see it so much, you know, and as as a parent, I feel like that's, you know, the the temptation, you know, the sinful desire of your heart is to make this little this little mini me or whatever, like mm-hmm. you know, the most important thing. And it's just, it's, it's very, it's so dangerous. You know, I mean, we see, you see the effects of it in home church when you try to have a conversation and then the kids dominate or, you know, um, like what Jessica was saying, you know, the kids drive, whether the parent participates in an event or not. And it's just, I just think we have to be so careful that, you know, that our sin distorts, you know, this, this gift, these gifts that God has given us and this privilege to, to try to raise these little hearts to change the key, you know, to change the world. And yet in our sin, like we, we, we mess that up and we pervert it and we distort it and we put them where Jesus goes. And I just think that that's, it's just so dangerous. Yeah. I'm compassionate because I think that it's hard, you know, to live in the world and receive all of those messages. Like, I think I'm very grateful for my community and, you know, my family <laughs> that helps, you know, like we need other people who speak the same language. Um, I remember it might have been in that same book. Somebody said, like, we have to remember as parents that our kids were created in the image of God. and They're not in our image, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and like Emily said, I think sometimes we want to like create little mini me's, you know, and give them all the things that either we wish we had as kids or you know we think is best for them or whatever but we have to remember that they actually belong to Jesus and he's given them to us to raise a disciple but to raise them in a way that he would want us to and they are gifts and you know to be treated with like love and all of those things but it's yeah like we have to raise them in the image of their true father you know God yeah which, uh, I mean, I think part of the difficulty even in that is, I don't know, as uh, parents, sometimes you don't always recognize when your kids have become 
kind of the the center and you're making your decisions based off of that like as far as you're concerned you're just i don't know trying to be a good parent and you don't necessarily recognize that actually there's maybe compromises that are being made here and yeah and yeah I think that's definitely true, um, you know, which is maybe why, you know, where that microchurch can again help us disciple our kids, right? Like if we really want the microchurch to help us uh, disciple our kids, then that's a great time, you know, when if we can actually live in submitted and humble relationships with one another where we can say like, hey guys, I'm struggling or do you see anything that needs to be corrected in my parenting or yeah. Right. That's the key. That's the key is because so often we're not open to that, you know? And so that's, I was actually had that thought, you know, as you were talking before is, you know, that's a blessing that, you know, I feel like obviously, you know, we have, since we have, you know, part of our family there, but like the whole, the whole idea is that your microchurch is your family. And so you want to have those relationships where you can trust one another, but you can also kind of, correct and I feel like that is that is the trickiest part especially when it comes to kids because people are so sensitive um, about about anyone kind of calling out their parenting style and it's it's tricky you know because you don't know them you don't know their kid but at the same time we're called to live in this missional community and I don't it's just it's it's really hard (laughs) yeah yeah well, I mean, I'd be curious uh, to hear, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, um, maybe ways that you've included your kids in microchurches, kind of the way that uh, things have evolved over time. But yeah, I would just love to hear any stories of things that you've done with kids in microchurches, how you've included them in microchurch life, and maybe even, not even just like how you've included them to just kind of, I don't know, give a head nod to them, but ways that they've proven to be an asset to the life of a microchurch. Um yeah, if you have any stories that come to mind, I'd love to hear it. Um, okay, so um, I think kids are great at outreaches, <laughs> especially my youngest. Well, I have two that are just um, very extroverted and they're just wonderful at making friends. So um, when we moved into the new neighborhood, the joke was, was that um, my one of my sons knew everybody before we did. Hmm. Um, so... Um, they're just great at um, meeting people and starting conversations. Um, I've been able to have, you know, spiritual conversations with some neighbors based on conversations that started because my kids called me over or, you know, um, those kinds of things. Um, recently, in um, one of the ways that we've been trying to think about how we can include kids in mission as a home church um, as being more intentional, um, like about serving together. So finding ways that we can, we can, um, do outreach in in the community. So we've kind of partnered with some, a couple of community organizations and gone like to their events where they just needed volunteers. But, um, you know, we bring the kids and it's just, it's great because they, they get to serve and they know that they're helping and giving back. But at the same point in time, um, everybody loves talking to kids. And so like what I was saying before, you just have these conversations that just go so much deeper because they see you there with, with your kids and people, they don't, they're not used to seeing kids, um, engaging and serving. They're used to seeing kids like, 
I want to go home or, you know, like sitting in the corner on their phone. And so when they see, and when they see these groups that come with children and the children are helping, like, it's just, it, it, it just opens doors that I think necessarily might not have been there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Currently we probably maybe once a month try to design like just kind of the flow of our home church, the way we gather right now, we kind of do um, our worship time. So like prayer time or worship time before we eat dinner. Um, And that looks different every single week. You know, we might have a time where you're praying for each other or doing some sort of internal reflection or something like that. But there have been many times, maybe about once a month or so, where we try to be very deliberate in including the kids in that time. So we like ask them if they want to. That's one of the kind of things that we've always said is that we, you know, if our kids won't, we don't ever force the kids to be involved if they don't want to. Um, maybe we just have too many icky stories, you know, of adults who are like, my parents always made me go to church or whatever, you know, whatever. We're trying to avoid that. But we ask the kids or leave it up to the parents, you know, if they want to be involved, um, I guess, depending on their age, too. Um, but, yeah, we'll try to do some sort of worship time or prayer time that involves them. Um so and I think that's been really cool just to even, even if it's just something simple, like what are you thankful for, you know, in your week this past week and going around the room and having the kids, you know, share too, like just being a part of the group and then praying for each other or something. Um, we've done some other things where we might have done like a Seder during, you know, Holy Week, work with the kids and something like that. Um, um, the kids are never told that they can't be a part of Bible study, but I just think a lot of times they opt out because they're kids and they would just rather not do Bible study with a bunch of adults, which is fine with us. Um, another way that I think kids are really helpful in, um, in a home church model is when visitors come. Like if you have prepped your kids well to love others well, <laughs> you know, if you already discipled them in that, and when a new kid shows up with, you know, a parent or, you know, another family and they're able to really embrace that kid and really try to, hey, do you want to come outside with me? Or, hey, do you want to play this game with me? Or, you know, just really trying to love on this other other kid. I mean, that goes a million miles with new families. Like, oh, wow, the kids were, <laughs> you know, actually trying to love, you know, my, my kid or whatever. Um I just feel like that is such a simple like discipleship lesson, right? That we all learn at some point, like, oh, we should love others. <laughs> but it is so like helpful and tangible when there's a new kid that walks in your house. And it's a small group, so it's awkward. You can't like hide because there's nowhere there's not a crowd. There's nowhere to hide. So um, especially like that elementary, middle school age where it's like you're kind of a little awkward anyway and Another kid comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to come play with me? Or do you want to, you know, eat dinner with me or whatever it is? Like, I just feel like that is such a gift. Like, sometimes I wish my kids were still younger so that they could do that more often. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not that they're not still good at it. But, like, man, that was so helpful when they were, you know, <laughs> little like that. And they could just, yeah, like, love on these other little kids. But, um, yeah, those are the things that come to mind. So good. And so true. I mean, I remember, uh, I mean, another uh, microchurch within our network. uh, Yeah, kids would answer the front door. And I mean, it's not like 
I mean, say what you will, whether or not that's a good idea. I mean, it's, it's, they knew that house church was happening. And so I don't know, there's still, you could ask questions, but yeah, I mean, the maybe number three out of the four kids would maybe was the loudest. And he was just, I don't know, would just open the door, welcome you in and let mom and dad know that somebody had just shown up. And it wasn't unusual to the kids to have adults who they didn't necessarily know show up to their house and eat dinner and participate in Bible study. And it was just, no, that's just what my parents do. It's what Sunday night looks like for us. And it's just so fascinating. And I think there is something beautiful about, you know, uh, the way that, I don't know, kids are kind of disarming. Like there is, you kind of sit down with people and sometimes, uh, if you sit down with an adult and they could they could be a little bit standoffish or reserved, but then you put their kids around them and there's a way that their kids, if they're extremely extroverted or welcoming, that you kind of see the family dynamic play out and you begin to actually get to know the the adult, the child, and there's a way that you feel connected to them. That's just uh, really incredible. And so, yeah, yeah. I think it's a. Uh, I don't know, I think as parents are listening to this and wondering, or even just people in general who might not be parents, but have friends or people in their microchurch who have kids uh, and they're trying to figure out what do we do? It's like, you're, they're not a liability to the microchurch. They might be, but they're also a tremendous <laughs> asset. Um, you know. There are those times when you're like, oh my gosh, the kids are so loud today or you know, someone just comes in a bad mood and decides to cry like the whole time. Like, that that's real too like that happens and yeah you just roll with it but (laughs) it's not always like great when the kids you know sometimes they fight and they argue or yeah trying to think recently we had one kid i won't say his name hit accidentally another kid with a metal like pole in our backyard he was like trying to hit a grapefruit off of one of my trees with like with a metal pole, like a baseball, you know, like throw the grapefruit up and hit it. Well, he hit the other kid like in the leg instead. And it was like this big, huge, like, you know, welt or whatever. So, I mean, stuff like that happens. That's real life too, you know, it's like, oh, why didn't you look before you swung the bat, you know, like, or the, it wasn't even a real bat. It was like a, I don't know, who knows, a pole that, shouldn't have probably been accessible so blame myself but yeah that happens that's real (laughs) glass tables also get shattered oh yes yes we've had some teenagers go through glass patio tables in the backyard yeah diving football catch it was an amazing catch apparently (laughs) there's tiny shattered shards of glass all in the (laughs) in the yard (laughs) no it happens and that's just part I mean parents know like that's just part of having kids and I think for the most part everyone has good like attitudes about that you know kids just they do things like that and and it's okay they can be real bonding moments too right (laughs) indeed memorable for sure Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think part of what people are asking when they're at getting into this question of, you know, kids and microchurches, whether or not they're explicitly asking it or even know this is a question that they're asking, I do feel like there is this matter of like, you know, what will raising my kids in a microchurch produce? Like, I guess, I mean, I, it's, even though it's not necessarily guaranteed that you raise your kid in a, a centralized church, that they're going to come out awesome and Mm-mm. be 
Jesus followers or anything like that. But I do think people wonder like, okay, well, if I do raise them in a microchurch and they, that's kind of what they experience and grow up with, well, what's the fruit of that? What's that like? And so I know for, uh, well, really for all of us, it's still really early to tell, uh, it ain't over till it's over. And so who knows where we'll be five years from now. And, uh, you know, our kids, uh, are in that same situation. But as you guys have watched your kids grow up and get older and yeah, I mean, I know Jessica, you have kids that are in college and, um, you know, your youngest is what a junior in high school. Yeah. He's 16 now. Yeah. So it's like, they're kind of getting into that adult age, making their own decisions. And Emily, you've got teenagers as well as, uh, you know, uh, the fifth grader that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm just curious, like, as you can, I mean, jury is still out, but as best as you can kind of understand right now, I mean, how have your kids uh, benefited from your life on mission and being surrounded by families on mission? And then, yeah, maybe the the ways that your kids are participating in the in demonstrating the, the way of Jesus in their life. Um, yeah, I'd just be curious if you have anything on that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the jury's still out. Who knows? Um, I feel like, you know, as our kids grow up, we have less and less control over their lives and how they spend their time and what they think. Like when they're little, it's like, no, I told you to sit down. You have to sit down. But like that would be weird for me to do with my 16 and up year olds, you know? Like I told you to sit here and eat your green beans, you know? Like <laughs> weird. Um, but anyway, um, I guess we'll see how it turns out. But yeah, I mean, I that's all my kids have ever known. They, you know, their whole entire childhood, they've not been a part of a prevailing church model or tradition model, traditional model. Um, so they don't know any different. But I think if you ask them, they would say that it's been good. Um, I think one of the biggest benefits that I've seen and that they've alluded to, maybe not in the same words, but it's just being able to see like real life, um, what it looks like real life following Jesus. So, you know, having people in our home often overhearing um, hard conversations, good conversations, arguments, um, you know, conflicts, (laughs) Um, Bible studies, worship times, like all of the things, even if they weren't there participating, they were probably right around the corner, you know, aware of what was happening. learning to love difficult people, seeing us model that, you know, not everyone that comes to church all the time is like easy to love. Um, and they pick up on that stuff. Every kid that comes to church isn't always easy to love. So like having to learn through and, and walk through, like, how do I love someone who's really different than me? How do I serve them? How do I, you know, think um, highly of them, even when it's, when it's difficult or whatever. But I think the biggest thing is just like the, the real life, you know, life on life kind of things. Like we don't do something at church that's separate from our normal life. Mm. Our microchurch is like life. It is normal life, (laughs) you know? Um, And I am just so glad that I got to give my kids like that, um, that gift as they were growing up to be able to, yeah, just know that like loving and serving Jesus is something that we do 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not just, it's not something that's compartmentalized or, or separated or that we dress up and go somewhere to do. It's just normal life and it happens on our street and in our house and, you know, at someone else's house or in the backyard or, or wherever, wherever we are, like it's, it's all the time. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, so two of our kids are um, adopted from foster care. So my husband and I fostered for 12 years. And um, so our kids have seen things through those experiences that I think a lot of kids um, don't, and even adults don't experience in their life. So they've, um, they've experienced, you know, what the effects of trauma um, and and how they can have lasting impacts, you know, um, on kids and on adults. Um, and they've experienced um, what it, real life, like what it means to not have enough money to take care of your kids and um, to provide for them. And they've experienced the hardships that come um, from dealing with the effects, you know, that that can have on families. And so, um, one of the things that I'm grateful for is that um, our microchurch provided a place where it was it it was not just their parents that their 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 parents and their siblings that they saw going through these things or the kids coming in and out of our home going through these things, but that there were other people that um, who were doing the same types of things who were fostering um, or who worked in the system. Um, you know, in some way. And so what I think it did is it normalized something that was very not normal. So it normalized just this like, yeah, you know, these kids are screaming and there's, you know, nothing you can do about it because it's their trauma playing out. And, you know, like everybody in the room, nobody's freaking out here. And, you know, we're just kind of get through this as a family, you know, or this crisis is happening. And so like my mom had to get up or my dad had to get up, you know, from bed at midnight and drive over to this house to help this person because, you know, of X, Y, or Z, you know, things that you, that would seem blatantly abnormal, but they, they see like, okay, so this is a, this it's normalized to radically like care for people in your community. And it's normalized to, turn your life upside down to care for a child who needs you. And um, I think that there have been some very real conversations that have come from that. Um, um, to be honest, you know, we've had to work through some bitterness that they've had because of that. We've had to work through some disappointments that they've had because of that. Um, but I mean, all you all you can do is just kind of hope that <laughs> the more you expose them to people who are radically trying to live their life to follow Jesus, um, that the more you expose them to that, the more that they think like, oh, this is just what we do, you know. And I'm not saying that that it's you know you have to you know foster or you know obviously. To, to live that kind of a life. But just the idea is like what Jessica was saying, like we're, we're just trying to normalize following Jesus, like, and not just following Jesus on Sunday. And I don't just talk about Jesus when I go to youth group or Awana, like, no, Jesus, like 
like I've seen, I've seen my parents crying and praying like desperate for Jesus in this situation mm. because like they don't know what else to do, you know, and I've seen them as a community crying and praying and desperate for Jesus to intervene in situations. And like, that's what you do. Like when, you know, like you just ask Jesus, you know, you, you don't have what you need. And so um, you ask Jesus for it, <laughs> you know, and like I said, that it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, as kids, they, they see their friends too. And they're like, well, my friend's life is nothing like this, you know, or my friend, you know, is able to do X, Y, or Z, or my friend doesn't have, you know, when we go to a store, it doesn't have to leave because so-and-so is throwing a temper tantrum or, you know, and so they can, they can kind of harbor bitterness too. And so I feel like that's, that's the danger. And so that's when you just kind of rely on your community. And I feel like every time like that, every time you're in a situation like that with kids, I feel like the community has really just been a key part of, of kind of bringing them back or bringing perspective. And, um, it just, it just, it just shows the value of, of the microchurch. So I don't know if I, if I really answered your question or not, but, um, um, we def the jury is definitely still out. We have no idea how this is going to go. Um, <laughs> but like I said, if you don't know, you just ask Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, help us help these kids. Um, help me not to screw up their life for them. Help them not to screw up their life. And yeah. God, if you choose to use us, cool. Yeah. <laughs> we would love that. It's <laughs> no, amazing. I mean, you guys are just a real deal. And as I mean, as somebody who, at least at the time of recording, has two young kids and is trying to also navigate parenting and microchurch life and mission and marriage and all the things. Uh, I don't know. Listening to you guys, I'm just like, oh man. I, at least for me, I'm like, I want a follow up episode. I feel like so, like we're just scratching the surface. There's so much here, and uh, I have access to you guys, uh, you know, more than our listener. And so, listeners, if you're listening and you're like, I have more questions, uh, feel free to shoot that over, and we'll see about getting a, a follow up episode. Uh, but there are, I, I do want to be sensitive to time. But there are like are two things that I feel like. Uh, are just, I don't know, interesting pieces to kind of throw into the mix. And it might be a terrible idea to throw them in this late, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, one is the fact that uh, as you all have discipled your kids, I do know that uh, kind of, Emily, you've mentioned this, but like Awana and like relying to a certain, not relying on it, but using what maybe traditional churches offer from time to time as a way to help disciple your kids. Like, it's not like you're putting all your eggs in that basket. Uh, and it's not that just because you have this microchurch doesn't mean you can't send your kids to vacation Bible school at First Baptist down the street. Like, no, that's fine. And so there is that piece that I, I wonder if when people are listening to us talk about uh, decentralized networks and microchurches and they're wondering, okay, well, yeah, VBS or little experiences that we've had. How do, can we do that? What, how do we use that? Well, how does it all fit? And so you guys can feel free to speak to that. But then also there is the fact that, I mean, 
now, I mean, at least at the time of this recording, it's something that's still sort of in the works and figuring itself out. But your kids have kind of come together and have sort of created their own little microchurch or are working on it. Um, and so there's that. It's like maybe your individual house churches aren't necessarily for them, but they themselves are trying to figure out, okay, yeah, well, how do we follow Jesus as, you know, teenagers and older uh, together and hold each other accountable to be like Jesus. And so. Um, well, I'll just talk about the first part then. Um, so basically we've definitely used Awana over the years um, in my, in my family. So there, there's great value, you know, in getting kids together and, you know, hearing the story from somebody else. Um, and just the scripture memory piece is, is great. Um, so we've definitely, definitely used Awana. We've definitely sent them to VBS. Um, and it's kind of fun because, uh, when they were littler, so now I only have, oh gosh, I don't have any more. That was my last summer of VBS. I just realized that. Um, anyway, so, um, we would use it kind of like as as an opportunity to connect with um, kids in the neighborhood, and um, and basically my fifth grader would um, she would invite people with her to go to VBS. So I would like fill my car and we would drive to the Baptist church down the street, and I would be like, "Here are all these kids, you know," and they would they would learn their memory verses and they bring their Bibles and they would do all the things and. Um, it's memorable, but it was also, um, so it was a great, you know, it was a great way for them to get involved and, and learn the, you know, the Bible and get good solid teaching, but also to think like, Hey, you know, like who, who needs to hear this, you know, who needs to know about Jesus and, um, for, for her to kind of think through that, um, and bring them and bring her friends. Um, but then also we've definitely um, partnered with um, a youth group. Uh, it was more so before the kids um, started st- started this little journey of trying to create their own their own little microchurch. But um, that for the past few years, my kids have been attending um, a, a local youth group as well. I just feel like teenagers need to hear. Um, people other than their parents mm-hmm. uh, speaking biblical truths into their lives, because we all know um, we all know how teenagers love to hear the same thing from their parents over and over again. And I'm sure <laughs> it never it never falls on deaf ears. But um, there's definitely you know definitely takes a village to raise these kids, and so um, it's. Every time that we've partnered, you know, with a local church, but you know, or just entrusted our kids in their programs, um, it's been it's been a great experience. So, Jess, you want to talk about? Yeah, I just think that's cool. Like, just thinking about what we talked about even earlier, like how the discipleship of our kids is like a long journey in the same direction, hopefully, but like an overarching thing, right? Like, it's something that we have to kind of do, and just like microchurch can't, you know disciple our kids fully like neither can these programs but like you kind of as a parent you're discerning and you're like trying to put the pieces together and I was thinking too Emily about how like you know one of your kids that you adopted out of 
the foster care system, like you've gone to other people in the community and said, hey, will you help me mentor my kid? Because mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's a different race than you guys. And so it's like you want other people to, but that's something that's unique to his discipleship journey that you wouldn't have to ask. Like you wouldn't, that's not a piece that right. one of your other kids might need, you know? Um, right. But like all our kids are different and unique. And as parents, we get the joy and the opportunity of like trying to put all those pieces together, you know? And um, I just think that, you know, one of the things that Jeremy and I always talk about is like, you know, we have different seasons. We almost see like every school year in a way as a different season, <laughs> you know, like, okay, so what are we doing with our kids this year? <laughs> Which might look completely different than what it did last year because they're growing, they're maturing, they had different needs. We're starting to send, see their sin nature in different ways, you know, and some of their, um, some of their weaknesses are starting to crop up, but we're also noticing more about their personality or their strengths. And like, we want to foster those and like encourage those things to happen too. So um, I don't know. I was just thinking about that while you were talking about some of the different things that your kids have been involved in over the years that are more of like programs hmm. um, and, and our kids too. They've also gone to, you know, summer camps or yes. BBS or um, you know, things like that. Um, and it is, it's great. I'm really grateful <laughs> that those things exist and mm -hmm. they've been, um, you know, a real gift for our kids. Um, I was going to just share a little bit, maybe like currently the teenagers, some of the teenagers are trying to do this. Um, they're calling it a youth group, you know, together. I think the original idea was just like, you know, our, our movement is young. So like when we started the underground, all our kids were little. <laughs> and now a lot more of us have teenagers. So it's like, oh, maybe this is something that, um, you know, developmentally, even in our, the, our movement is, is ready to happen. It wasn't, it would have been silly to try to do this 10 years ago, but now, um, you know, there's a lot more teenagers running around. So we um, just, they just kind of got together. The teenagers did, and they did a lot of like praying and, um, you know, they did have some adult like help as far as like facilitating that meeting of you know, dreaming and what, what do you guys want this to look like? Very similar to like as adults, what we might do going through like a calling lab or some kind of like prayer retreat, you know, where someone facilitates and just helps us kind of put our vision or our dream into like practical terms and like words that make sense <laughs> um, and, and flesh it out a little bit. So they did that. Um, together and just kind of decided like I think they would use the language like God wants us to try to do like a youth group have a place where we can study you know the scriptures study Jesus for ourselves but also a place where we can invite our friends um, all the kids go to different schools and have different you know peer groups at school and sports teams and stuff like that so um, but they wanted to create a space where it would be like possible and uh, feel norm feel good, I guess, about inviting their friends to also look at Jesus, you know, with them, study the Bible with them. So they've done a couple of like outreach parties and invited friends from school, and you know, I mean, it's very, very kind of low key and um, like there's nothing really flashy or you know. I don't know. Yeah, there's just nothing. It's just very normal looking. It looks like a bunch of kids just like getting together 
at someone's house and eating pizza and going down the street to the park to play volleyball or swimming in a pool or something a lot of times. But what I think is really beautiful about it is that the kids have ownership of it because it was their idea. They said themselves, we feel like Jesus wants us to do this. So they have like, you know, the authority in a way to be like, no, this is what it should look like. And this is what we think our friends would want to come to. And um, none of us, the parents, are like twisting their arm behind the scenes saying you have to go to youth group or you have to, you know, invite your friend to this. It's like their idea. They're doing it, (laughs) Um, which is really beautiful to me. Like, I just love that. I think super cool. Super cool. It is amazing. It is. uh, It's been really cool to watch them come together and do it. And uh, yeah, just watch from a distance. And so I'm really excited. And I don't know, even just listening to you both speak. uh, Yeah, we talked about the jury still being out. But, you know, I think what is crazy about, you know, kids and parenting is that these little, I don't know, humans that were just, I don't know, infants. And before that were, you know, fetuses and, you know, they become Mm -hmm. sentient creatures with their own thoughts and they can develop uh, complex thoughts and process things and think about their life and evaluate. And so there will come a day where, uh, you know, (laughs) as they enter into adulthood and make their own decisions for their life and God willing, start their own families that they think about, oh yeah, this is the way that my parents modeled Jesus Mm -hmm. to me. And this is something I really loved Mm -hmm. about the way that I was brought up that I want to carry with me and give to my family one day, potentially, or what have you. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know, I, anything can happen, but I'm really excited to see kind of what your kids, uh, I don't know, do because the way that you have followed Jesus, um, I just think you guys are absolutely incredible. And so thank you so much for hopping on this podcast. I know it's a lot to talk about, uh, but it is, I don't know, I'm honored to, to learn from you all. And uh, I imagine this will be a tremendous blessing for the listener as well. And so if you are listening to this podcast and you're wondering, where do I go from here? Um, yeah. So, I mean, there you can look at Brian's book, Microchurches. That's as good as any place to start thinking about how do microchurches come together. If you go to undergroundnetwork.org, occasionally uh, we offer webinars on how to start a microchurch. And so uh, just keep your eyes peeled for that because um, there are probably some training opportunities coming up in the future in which you can take some of those ideas that you're wrestling with and begin to think about more concretely how does that express itself, organize itself as the church. Uh, and yeah, if you have more questions or if you feel like this is a, something that merits a follow-up, I would love to, to hear from you as well. So feel free to reach out. Um, but this has been Microchurches. This has been What Do We Do With Kids? And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>